Business Podcast. Proximity is power. Registration for our executive boardroom is still open. To learn more, click the link in the description of this episode. Welcome to the Game of Business Podcast. I am so fortunate today to have my good friend, Nina Newberry. Nina and I served for, well, we didn't serve. We joined a board of directors about five years ago and um, with other business leaders. And we had a powerful mentor there. And Nina just blew me away with her business mind, knowledge, skill set. She was definitely one of the highest performers on that level. Nina comes to us with this podcast today with 15, 14 years at Deloitte. Uh, coaching, mentoring, uh, Fortune 500 executives. And for the last 15 years, she's, she went out on her own and has her own business doing the same thing. And Nina, I'm excited to have this conversation with you because of the level of leaders you talk with and, all the, and the fact that you are a powerful woman inside of a space that is you know, still dominated by masculine energy or, well, it's always going to be masculine energy, I think, but, but, by, the, but by men, right? So thanks for coming here. All right. Thanks for the invitation. I'm excited to have the conversation yeah, today. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. So I have, Nina, since we've met, I, uh, since we've last spoke, I think, I've started developing this concept around there's eight fundamental building blocks in business. The first is psychology and skill set. And the second one, or psychology and mindset. And the second one is leadership. Um, and so I believe that to be a good leader, you have to number one, you, you have to be able to lead yourself. And number two, to influence people, you have to already know what influences them. So I'm going to drop that little bomb on you and have you react to me and see, see where you think leadership starts. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I think self-awareness is, is a very, very important piece of this. And so thinking about kind of that mindset that you have, that attitude that you have and how you impact other people is huge. So, you know, many times we get caught up in the activities that we're doing, the pace of the world around us, and we forget to pause and think about how we're showing up and how we're, um, how we're affecting others. And you have to remind me what your second, uh, your second one was. It was, it was, um, it was to know, to know how to influence others. You've got to know, uh, what already influences them. Yes. Yes. And, And that's something that I coach on all the time as well so you know recognizing that the way that we like to be influenced may not be the way that others like to but typically that's what we do (laughs) so you know if we're if we're focused on logic facts rationale and now we're presenting that to someone it's like why isn't this working well maybe that's not the motivator for them you know there's a fantastic model that's been put together by the center for creative leadership and it tees up three different influence styles, head, heart, and hands. And head being the piece around logic, data, facts, rationale. Heart being more of appealing to, you know, emotionally to someone. And so that may be more around thinking about the vision, the possibilities, like, wow, this could be really cool if we achieve this. And then hands is more of that collaboration and support. So I'm here to you know, be by your side, partner with you, if you do this with me, I'm not going to leave you hanging. So it's, it's interesting to see how many people truly have the ability to flex across those three styles, regardless of what their own preferences are. Yeah, I think part of connecting with people, Nina, is that you've got to connect with them on an emotional level. 
and then back it up with the logic. Here's what I've actually done. So part of that connection is like, like we said, is understanding what influences them. And so many times we just, I know early on in my career, it was just JP is going to go what JP's route is and everybody else falls into line. And sometimes that works, but oftentimes it leaves people wondering who is this guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. How do you go about, um, helping new leaders inside of an organization build up credibility inside of an organization? Well, it actually, I'm going to share an exercise that I do with every leader, regardless of what level. Okay. And it's, it's a really powerful one. Actually, there are two components to it. So <clears throat> one is to clarify what they really want to be known for as a leader. So it's a very simple question. If someone were to describe you to somebody else, what are the top three things that you would want them to say about you? And so you ask people um, to come up with three words or phrases. And then what I end up doing with them is digging in a little bit deeper to say, what do those things really mean? Because, you know, JP, you and I could use some of the same vocabulary, but it could mean very different things to us. So whether it's something along the lines of my values, like I'm someone who always does the right thing, or I'm someone who is a great communicator or someone who's good at developing people. Underneath that, we have different things that make that up, right? Different activities, different things that we would emphasize. So that's, that's one because they're, you know, they get some clarity around you know, the kind of leader that they are and the experience they want other people to have. The other thing that I have them focus on is the top three things that they should focus on to have the biggest impact on the business. So given their role and given their strengths. So it's, it gets to the heart of what are you really here to do? What's that impact you're going to have that's really going to drive business results? And by combining the personal side of this, like thinking about your brand and what you want to be known for, along with the impact that you want to have, it's super powerful context for everything else. So let's say if someone needs to improve, you know, how they're working with their team or creating a stronger environment or uh, developing relationships with key stakeholders, all of it comes into play with this focus around what they're here to do and how they uniquely do it, right? That, that brand. So right. it's, it's super powerful. So that's, that's where I start, whether it's a new leader or if it's someone who's been leading for a while. I like that. Do you ever see how their, um, the three things that they want to be known for align with the core values of the organization that they work for? Yeah, that is something we take a look at because when you start identifying what's really important, then you have to look at the context, the environment, the culture that they're in. And sometimes when people are feeling more drained or procrastinating, procrastinating or doing some things that um, you know, where it just doesn't make sense to them, right? Like, why am I having a hard time getting going on this? Sometimes it's because of things like that, right? The values are not lining up for them. And in other cases, when they're really energized, some of that is a lot more in sync. And it can, it can definitely help shape the direction that your career goes in, right? As you get clearer and clearer about who you are and what you really want. Okay, so now... You've lined up my, my top three um, motivators for myself, right? And, you've t and the three things that I need to focus on in the business. And then, um, and then what do we talk about? We're going to go into um, how do we strengthen those attributes? 
I guess would be my question. Well, so when I'm, when I'm working with a new leader and helping them transition into, um, you know, into that type of a position, there are specific things that I focus on there because it's a little bit unique, right? But we look at these different dimensions. So one is looking at the relationship with their manager and how do they set that up for success? What does the communication cadence need to look like? How do they define their own role versus their manager's role? How do they want to maintain a certain level of visibility? So that's, that's one bucket. Another bucket is really looking at their team. And first of all, getting a sense of how strong is this team? Meaning, do I have the right people in the right roles with the right skills? So sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Yeah, and absolutely. Then, I, yeah. I couple that. I, I like what you said, and I couple it with culture inside of my business. I don't know if you remember this specifically, but years ago when we were on that board together, I was giving a presentation about my company. And our mentor said, um, well, you need to do some more thinking time. And I said, more thinking time? I need more doing time. I can't go five minutes without somebody coming into my office and asking me a question. And he goes, well, you've got a culture problem. And I went, no, I don't have a culture problem. He said, I'm telling you, you've got a culture problem. Went, okay, well, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this. So we go off, right? And whatever. And about six months later, um, I was working with another coach. And she said something. And it reminded me of what Keith said. And I did a little, little digging on it. I went, oh my God, I've got a culture problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so sometimes people that are slow like me need, need it multiple sources. But what I realized was that I can have the right people in the organization, but if they're not aligned culturally, then we're not going to maximize where we're going. And I ultimately wouldn't be happy. And then that's when I, I made a whole shift and said, I mean, the third most important, uh, the third building block in business for me now is culture. Unless I was a startup company, then obviously we got to get sales in. So I'd make it sales. But if I've got an existing company, I think it's your mindset first. Then can you lead yourself so you can lead others? And then it's the culture inside of your company. Yeah, and I would say culture is something that's going to be there, whether you define it or not. It's kind of like your brand. You have one, whether or not you've taken the time to clarify what you want it to be. So culture is, is an outcome of the type of environment that you create, the way that you lead, the way that you think about things, the values you reinforce. So I agree, it's, it's critical and it's something you can absolutely shape. So, you know, that, that comment, and I do remember when that came up in, <laughs> in our board, but you know, we, we teach people, we teach people how to treat us. We teach people how to function in our environment. And so if their model was, Hey, when we've got issues, we're going to come to you to solve them. You've got an opportunity to shift that Say, okay, how right. do I empower a bit more? What are some different things that I can do? What are the real reasons that, that people are, are doing this? And what are some of the things that they believe about how we're supposed to operate and function? Right. And then just from that shift, the, the business was able to shift completely with that mindset shift. Mm -hmm. And I was able to get not only the right skill set people in the company, but they were doing the right roles for them. And I found that I would, if somebody had a right culture fit, but the job wasn't right, I would continually try and find a place that they could be successful. 
But if somebody was a, uh, maybe a great producer, but culturally they weren't a fit and they were dragging the rest of the team down, people mm -hmm. didn't want to be there because of that they had to move on and it didn't yeah. matter what the bottom line impact was. I, I totally agree. You know, I, I worked at Deloitte Consulting for 14 years and, and our model was really more of a homegrown model. Hire talented people in who are smart and have the capability to learn, but fit being a huge component of things because the rest you can teach. You know, so as long as you've got some runway to actually teach people versus needing them to come in with all that expertise and skills to begin with, you know, then it, it makes a difference there for sure. Yeah. Um, so what challenges have you faced? Uh, you're in your own, you have your own business, but what challenges you, have you faced being a woman in this role? Um, and I mean, that's just, it seems to me in this world, sometimes that men, a lot of men might find that off-putting if that's who you're selling to. <laughs> uh, Not for yeah. me. I was raised by a single mom. I, I <laughs> Yeah, I, I think just kind of the, the broader comment that I would make just around uh, being a woman in business, right, whether it's working at a Deloitte or whether it's in my own company, is recognizing there's still a lot of norms and systems and processes that are more geared towards men, right? Because they were, I mean, historically, that's, you know, who put that stuff together. So, there, there are shifts that need to happen over time, but I think what the way that this manifests in terms of day-to-day, -day, what's the impact on me, what's the impact on other women, is it takes you to this place of trying to figure out how, um, how authentic you can be, meaning there are certain things that you value, there are certain ways that you would show up if other people weren't really influencing that in the way that they are. But then, you know, you feel like you have to modify some of that in order to get results or, you know, we were talking about influencing earlier. So whether it's your communication style, your presence, or just an approach that you would take about how you try to get something over the goal line, you know, there are different ways of doing that. And I think over time, as you continue in your career, you start to realize, hey, my way can work. It, it does work. I have to feel confident about it working. I have to feel okay with stepping into it more. So one of the other things that I do with my clients, you know, because I, I do coach a lot of high-performing women leaders as well, is helping them really understand what's truly important to them, right? That authenticity. And part of it ties back to that brand, brand exercise that I was just sharing mm -hmm. earlier. So but really mapping out what would that look like? What would that look like and sound like? What would be happening? What would you be doing? And what would it take for you to truly show up that way? So I remember, um, gosh, back in my early days at Deloitte, I was so much of a, I'm putting my head down, getting the work done. You know, and part of it also, you know, I'll bring my cultural background into the mix. I was just going to say, it's part right? of your culture, right? Yes, that too, right? So the really high expectations and, you know, shoot for the moon. So that was the kind of family that, that I grew up in. But I distinctly remember a point in my career where I just said, you know what? I, I'm just so used to doing things a certain way, but this really isn't fully true to who I am. I've got, a, I've got a, a bit of a silly, goofy side that, you know, a lot of people don't see, 
because I can be buttoned up, you know, I kind of grew up in that Deloitte consulting environment, which was also very much conservative, professional, and and so when I when I started my own business, you know, I really gave that some thought. It's like, what are the parts of myself that I feel like are kind of tucked away? And what you start to realize is the more you bring some of those things out, the more ways people have to connect with you. And so just because it's the authentic version of you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that I have a goofy side in any situation and and inside of a boardroom. Now, the downside is if things get too tense, I can diffuse it, diffuse it with uh, a time when we shouldn't be diffusing it just to cut the tension. So I've, re- I've identified that in myself because I'm, pl- I'm a joyful person. I-, I want everybody to be happy. So, and maybe that's also because uh, we're going to get into my psychology raised by a single mom. There wasn't a lot of fighting going on in the house. <laughs> you know, you're a single mom. You've, you've, you've had to experience that, but so getting back to this, uh, to women. Um, well, before I do that, what was the shift? Cause what the way I understand it is, so um, I lived up in the Northwest for a long time. Intel was up there. They had what uh, the employees called golden handcuffs. They had all these stock mm-hmm. options and everything. And so it made it so expensive for them to leave. Oh my God, if I walk away, I got 500,000. I got 750. I got a million in options. I, you know, and so they can't leave. And my understanding is that Deloitte sets up their high performers in a similar way. And so... If, I don't know if that's true or not, but if that is true, how did you finally come to a point that said, enough is enough, I'm going to go work for myself? Well, it's, you know, it's, I'm going to try to figure out how to answer this without taking you through too much detail, but I, I should give you the context that, um, that I had left the company before, after three and a half years, I got recruited back, I was in four different groups. And so I was very unique in terms of my career path there. So every three to four years, I made a change. And that's whether I had another job lined up or not. So I had left you know, companies cold turkey before without looking for anything. And when I left Deloitte the first time, that's what I did. And when I left Deloitte the second time, that's what I did too. I didn't know. I was definitely going to start my own company at that point. Okay, interesting. So, so part of that to say it gets easier after you've done it once, you, and you know you can do it again and again and again. But the the driving force for me was really staying focused on my passion, and that's what truly led to shifts in my career. So as I continued to learn, as I continued to expose myself to different types of work, so I started out doing strategy consulting. Then I ended up switching to operations consulting. Then I moved into human capital and started focusing on leadership development. So that's all working with external clients. Then I was up for partner. And then I decided to move into human resources. And I was part of Deloitte's USHR executive committee and was working with our executive team you know, for our 34,000 employees in the US, working on strategy and implementing programs. And then four years later, decided to leave and start my own company, um, you know, after I took a leave of absence for a month. So I think that's the other piece of it that I want to mention is, you know, I, I definitely participated in this work hard, play hard model. I was pretty burnt out when I, uh, when I decided to leave Deloitte, but I ended up taking a one month leave of absence to make sure I wasn't making an emotional decision or one just based on just fatigue but just really pausing to think about what did I care about and just 
getting back on, on my feet in terms of just feeling more rested. And there, there were other business events that happened that kind of led to me deciding to leave. But you know, the biggest thing for me was I realized my values weren't in sync. I can work hard, mm. I, you know, I can run around. I'd been with a company for such a long time, great people. You know, when you talk about golden handcuffs, you know, certainly the financial aspect, the, the level that I was at, at the company, I was at an executive level, it was hard to walk away from that, but the hardest thing was to walk away from the people. So I formed really good friendships, really smart people. I enjoy working with high performers. And so mm -hmm. that was the toughest piece. But one of the biggest indicators for me was that, you know, I wanted to do something different. And I knew so many people in the company because I had done so many different things, both from, uh, from the standpoint of my job itself, but also the extracurricular stuff, campus recruiting, other things that cut across different functions, different businesses. So I knew a ton of people, but I couldn't pick up the phone and, and say, hey, let me talk to you about an opportunity in your group. And so it was just really clear to me, it's time. It's time for me to design the kind of life that works for me and working with the clients that I want to work with and not necessarily having to travel in the, in the same way that I had been. Yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. So it, you took the time to really to decide who you, who you are and what you want to be. And I we just, just what we talked about, you, you realized that your core values didn't align with the company's core values. And so you needed to make a shift. And I'm a, I assume that that's a big, big role or a big part of what you're focused on when you hire people inside of your company now that they're going to fit. Yeah. Yes. That, that is important, right? Whether it's, you know, someone working on a contract basis, you know, part-time or something else. So it, it's interesting because you can truly think about here's the scope of work that I need to have done. And okay. So I need someone who's skilled in doing that, but you and I both know you find someone to do that scope of work who's got passion or interest in what you're trying to do and the difference you're trying to make in the world. Totally different in terms of their yeah, commitment, absolutely. their creativity, their resourcefulness, everything. And certainly same goes for me. You know, if I don't really believe in what I'm doing and it's a paycheck, that, that's not enough for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Paint, paint me a picture about what of an, ex, of an experience or a story that, that highlights your impact as a mentor to to somebody here in the last 14 years since or is mm. it 14 or 15 years you've been on your own 15 yeah yeah it's, it is crazy it is crazy how long it's so, been <laughs> tell me a success story i want to i want to hear how i want to hear i want to see firsthand or secondhand whatever how you're mad how you worked your magic how you spun your spun your spell <laughs> Well, actually, so what's coming to mind is someone I was just coaching yesterday. And this is a, a woman who works at an oil and gas company. And so when we first met, there, were, there was a lot of focus around how to help her continue to elevate, you know, elevate her presence, how to navigate some of the dynamics and being more sensitive to some of how things get done. Mind you, this is a very, uh, very conservative, more risk averse, male dominated environment. And this is a woman who's um, relatively young, is crazy smart, um, super capable, 
And the consistent feedback was, you know, we could envision her being able to get to the CEO at some point, right? Get to the CEO level. And so fast forward, I, I think it's, I'm trying to think if it's been four years now, um, and it is unbelievable. You look at how she shows up, how she engages, the number of promotions that she's gotten, you know, through our work together. And we are at the stage of actually <coughs> planning out her move, you know, so she's like one or one or two moves away from being in that role at this point. But it is a real thing at this point. And so it's just super exciting because, you know, there's been this whole focus, like coming back to authenticity again, right? For women, this comes up a lot more than it comes up for men. I'm not typically having this conversation with as many men, but it's like, how can I do this in a way that's going to work for me? And, you know, she's got, you know, multiple children. She's in a two career family. It's, there's just so many different nuances to trying to make it work. So even if you're not a single mom, there's still a lot of stuff to juggle. And so how do you do that in a way where you don't lose yourself personally or professionally, and you maintain your line of sight on both of those things that matter. But one of the coolest things is just really helping her navigate the sensitivities, navigating the culture, but also reshaping the culture in the parts of the organization that she's in. And to the point where the organization can really see the value of that, you know, as she continues to move up and being able to spread that more broadly. So I, it, I'm just so crazy proud of her. I, I, I can't, I certainly can't take the, the credit for all of that because look, it could have just been a bunch of coaching conversations with no action, but you know, there is a method to the madness in terms of helping people take action and sustaining the change. Well, absolutely. Um, do you, you, I know you you work with a lot of fortune 500 companies. Do you ever work with any smaller businesses as well? I do. I do. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm someone who could kind of play across the spectrum because there's a lot of fun stuff I like to do. So I've worked with startup organizations, especially, you know, thinking about that strategy and that vision and what do we want to do and then how do we start making it happen? So the, the Texas Medical Center, you know, which is the largest one in the world right there in Houston, uh, they have an innovation institute. I actually coach digital health startups that are there, and I've been doing that pro bono for several years. Um, but then I do work with some, some mid-sized companies as well. The biggest thing for me is alignment with, um, with you know, what the values are that we have for our core business, and also just you know, organizations that are truly willing to invest in development meaning it not being a check the box activity, but truly recognizing, hey, this is an investment, it's not a cost. And there's a, you know, a huge difference in mindset, depending mm -hmm. on whether you think about it as an investment versus a cost. So, yeah, but right. otherwise, yeah, certainly. And then when I came back to Deloitte, when I got recruited back, I got recruited back to help start up a middle market consulting practice. So <laughs> that's... So that was where I was, I, I, as you were talking, I, I, previously about this, the woman CEO, I had a contract with a company earlier this year and the, the dad was getting ready to retire within the next year and a half or so, turning it over to his son. 
And um, he he said, well, we're a small business. We're just a small biz- family business. Small, and they're a $25 million business that they think is going to be a $50 million business in three years. So I was trying to get him to see that, number one, he's not a small business at $25 million anymore with 60-plus employees, mm-hmm. but that he was not going to be able to make it to $50 million if uh, it, with the same mindset. Um, and the interesting thing, though, Nina, was the reason I got in there was that the daughter, who was in the HR, she did HR and accounting for the company, um, had, seen, had seen this coming. And the whole family looks down on this woman. And I'm look, and as I was working with them, I'm like, if this was my company, she's the one I'd be grooming to lead it. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell them that. It's not my place to tell them that. I didn't, I didn't believe. But how, how do you, have you ever worked with, with a company where you can just see that uh, their values didn't align with yours and that what you could see was just not, I wasn't hired to, to pick a new leader for one thing, so it wasn't my place to say anything. But, but have you ever had a situation like that with these smaller companies where you can just see things around the corners that the others don't? And... Oh, absolutely, right. And that's small companies and big companies because the, one of the advantages of being an executive coach or being a consultant is that you are, you are a third party that isn't mired in everything. You don't have all of that emotional baggage. You don't have all of that history. And that's, that's an <clears throat> advantage. So certainly there, there are things that you need to learn about the organization, but you know, one of the things I've learned over time, and I, re- I distinctly remember this when I started my business, you know, really thinking about who do I want, who do I want to do business with? And, you know, cause I think when I worked at Deloitte, I, I found myself in too many situations where I felt like, should this be us doing this engagement or should it be somebody else or, you know, who, Who's the right fit, right? So that mutual fit thing. And, right. and I think it's tough when you're part of a bigger organization because some of it is like, hey, we've got this big opportunity, we should, we should take it. And so it's not like you know, it's anything to do, uh, it's not unethical or anything along those lines, right? We're capable of doing it, but when you truly step back and think about it, like who would be the best fit for this? And so in my own company, I've been very, very clear. I will walk away from business. My goal is not to just keep making money, but it's to make sure that I'm providing the best that I can to the organizations that I work with. And so my focus is more around helping them clarify what they really want and what they really need. And when we have that initial business development conversation, I make it very clear that we're assessing mutual fit. And, and we'll see, and if, if I'm not the best fit, my company is not the best fit, then I'll see if there's someone I can refer them to. But you know, when we talk about that spectrum of viewing some of these services from a cost perspective versus thinking about it as an investment, that is right. a really yeah. important thing that I look for. And so different companies are in different places in terms of their level of maturity and thinking about how do I invest in the growth and how do I get there and am I really ready so when you talk about that company you were just referring to, they don't sound like they're ready yet. And to kind of... And, and the that. sad thing was dad's going to be stepping out and you've got the, the other kid who's not a visionary leader at all. And I could, yeah. just, see, I could just see entropy coming in. It was, it, Nina, 
you know me and the manufacturing business that I had. I looked at this thing and I was like, because I'm not in it anymore. And I looked at this thing as, oh man, what I could do with this toy right now. What I could do with this toy. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, JP, I, I will tell you this too. So in the line of work that I do, so let's just take the example of a really big company for a minute. I get to talk to people pretty frankly about what's going on. Right? There's a lot of confidential stuff that they're sharing with me. Mm-hmm. I get a chance to interview people across the organization. There are themes, there are things that I see, not just because I'm coaching, but also because I've got that business background, right? And doing all those years of management consulting with all these large corporations. So I've, I've seen a lot of different things. And so there are things that I will pick up on And a lot of times I will have a conversation with a leader saying, hey, look, I know you didn't hire me for this, but here's some observations. You know, as long as I can do it in a way that maintains confidentiality, but like, here's some themes that I'm noticing, some stuff I want to put on your radar. You, I mean, it's up to you whether you want to dig into it anymore and see if it's something you want to take action on. But I don't feel okay not sharing it with you because if i were in your shoes i'd want to know and now granted i mean it varies right depending on the situation the circumstances but um that is something that i've i've done multiple times just to get them thinking about stuff and saying okay what do i want to do here if anything right um what what do you think so as you're mentoring these leaders what do you see are the key outcomes that they get working with with it with you or just a coach in general a mentor in general well i you know so coming back to mindsets you know that you were talking about earlier just that level of confidence right believing that they can do what they need to do that is one of the biggest things and that is not an easy thing to to help someone do but when they do it, oh my gosh, it is so cool, right? To see them, um, you know, notice their own strengths. Like this is one of my specific goals is to help people see themselves for who they really are and step into it in a way that they haven't before. So not only is that thinking about the values, thinking about their strengths, but connecting the dots between their strengths and the impact. So, you know, that brand exercise that I talked about at the beginning, I'm going to come back full circle. There's a last step to it that I forgot to mention, which is identifying the so what. So meaning, let's say if you're a good communicator or you're someone who does the right thing all the time, so what? What What does it allow you to deliver in terms of business results that other people can't deliver as easily? And when you start helping people make that connection, it is no longer a branding exercise. This is me stepping into who I am and bringing that value that I want to bring, that stuff that I'm really passionate about, and, and being able to now start thinking about some steps that I want to take. So confidence is a huge piece, but confidence equals um, more consistent and better business results. Um, and the, you know, I'd say one of the other things that, that comes up all the time, and you know, I think leaders struggle with this, especially as things are, are tough and, and things ke- continue to change, is how much time do they spend thinking strategically versus tactically, you know, operationally addressing things. So you know, that thinking time you're referring to earlier, I call it strategic 
thinking time, <laughs> you know, just yeah. making sure that this is one of those must have components. I tell people this is the difference between people who are consistently high performers and people who may have performed well at certain points in their career. You carve out time for that. It, it, and I don't care if it's just 15 minutes a week. Huge difference in terms of you be, being able to step back and be more proactive versus reactive to what's going on around you. Right. I, I learned during that period of my, my life, and it worked for me. Maybe it doesn't work for other CEOs. I think, um, what was, uh, what's Buffett's sidekick's name? Char Charlie Munger, is that his name? Yeah, I think he so. To, he yeah. used to set up office hours, and I played around with this concept of office hours. And so I did it and I said, for these two hours, I can be interrupted at any time by anyone outside of that. There needs to be a pathological problem, like something business imminent buildings on fire. We ran out of money. You're not going to make payroll something, you know, something that's emergency it's crisis mode. Then you can interrupt me 24 seven, but otherwise it's during these two hours. And what that allowed me to do was to do that thinking time. Cause I'd put that on my calendar but I would never get, get the opportunity to do it. So um, this, this concept really worked well for me. And then when, it, when I did that, I, what, it, what it also opened up was the opportunity for my leadership team to start solving their own problems. And mm -hmm. so my core value of innovation is what I call it, is also about problem solving because I believe that a company of problem solvers can dominate any industry. So by me being, oh, run to daddy for the answers all the time, or, you know, I'm the odd question in the back of the math book, so you can always get it right. Now it's like, you're going to come to me. You better come with solutions. We'll discuss the solutions. You'll tell me the problem, what your three possible solutions are, but I'm not going to solve it for you. I want to know that you did the thinking time before you came to me. And this really collapsed time and really expanded the, the organization um, because yeah. they could do the thinking for themselves. Yeah, totally, totally agree. You know, when I was making that comment earlier about we teach people how to treat us, right? You set the stage for, hey, I want you to be thinking about this ahead of time and coming to me, come prepared with something. And look, if you really can't figure anything out, I'm, I'm happy to help you think through that, right? If you truly are stuck. But I, you know, just a, a slight tweak to what you mentioned around office hours and the structure. So the structure that I typically have leaders think about is, thinking time that's just their time, meaning it's not going to get interrupted and it is sacred. So you don't let anything interfere with that. So figure out a time and day of the week where you're least likely to get interrupted, communicate to others that this is your thinking time and you are, you know, so they need to protect it. They need to not schedule any meetings. So the communication around it's important. The other piece is setting up a, a cadence of one-on-one -on -one meetings with, with your employees. So figure out what that is. What is that weekly? Is that bi-weekly? What does that need to look like? And how long should it be? And what should the structure of that be? And then the office hours is, is to deal with things that cannot wait until your scheduled, reg, you know, your regularly scheduled meetings. So it's for more of those urgent things where, hey, I need... I need some uh, support. I need help thinking through something. Here's something that's come up. And, and I typically do a, a shorter window of time than what you described because when you have those other pieces in place, 
it all starts to work together pretty well. And you challenge people to say, is this something that's really that urgent or can it wait till our next yeah. scheduled meeting? And you know, what else can you do to move the ball forward? Right? Right. So it, it, it all starts reinforcing the same things. So remember, I went from not having five minutes to myself to having two hours of office time to within yeah. 90 days, I'd be sitting up there three or four days a week and nobody would come upstairs. And so what did that mean? I was, I found myself walking around looking for, for stuff like, <laughs> where's the problems? Why is nobody talking to me? <laughs> I created the machine that I wanted to build, but then it was, it got lonely up there. So, but what it did though, it gave me an opportunity to connect emotionally with my other employees right now. Yeah. I'm on their time because they like to look the organization I have, they, they want to see the boss. They want to have a personal relationship with the boss. They want to have that. And so now I'm seeking them out and I'm asking them what's going on. And it, mm -hmm. you know, it always will turn into a personal thing. And people, I think, will follow a leader when they're connected emotionally to them more than just, hey, that's the guy right in the paycheck. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there, there's nothing that can take the place of actually kind of walking around and connecting with people and having those conversations without an agenda necessarily. Right? Because right. It was many times, you know, leaders will fall into that trap. Like everything is around an agenda or something that we're supposed to accomplish. And sometimes you learn a lot and pick up a lot just from these informal conversations that you end up having. And in this day and age with a lot of technology, you know, if people are working completely remotely, you've got to create those, those opportunities where you just connect with people as people like, Hey, can we grab five minutes or 10 minutes and sure. And you can still make it happen. You just have to prioritize it. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely something that I would do inside of, um, inside of my communication with, with my teams and, and with that, with that space, it was, you come in the two hours and talk to me about your kids games. If you want to, this is your time to connect with me too. And so I, I just, it was their time. It was my part of the day that I carved out for my people to use any way they wanted. Now, if somebody else came in and they wanted to talk about business, well, we're done talking about that soccer game. Let's go, let's, let's get down to business with, with uh, mm -hmm. Fred over here, right? So there's that. But the other piece around this, Nina, with, um, we're kind of just talking about some, some different things that leaders deal with. And it, the reason I like this was, are you familiar with the Eisenhower matrix? Mm -mm. Okay. So he's the one that created this, this four box. I mean, you're probably, maybe don't know the name. I'm sure you're familiar with, but it's urgent and important. And, oh and, yes. And yes. I thing. didn't know it was called that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, okay. he developed that to make decisions during world war two. And so what ends up happening is we get stuck on the urgent and important stuff and then we're racing and it, it, there's a lack of fulfillment there and then you're also more in a tactical space and not in the logical strategic space so what i looked at is how can i take the things that are important and not urgent and pull them forward into my week so i can have my think think on it on my time my pace and get them done because eventually they'll be urgent and important but how can i pull them forward and that became a lot more fulfilling. Do you, uh, how do you, what do you do with uh, leaders around planning their week or their month? Well, it, so that, that exercise that I mentioned at the beginning around okay. where can they have the biggest impact on the business, given their role, given their strengths, there are other components to that exercise. I actually have them, 
identify the percentage of time they should be spending on each of those three. Those three would not add up to 100%, but they should be a significant portion. And then to compare that to what percentage of their time do they spend on each of those things. So then it starts to highlight the gap or, you know, maybe there aren't gaps in all three of those. Maybe there's some alignment too. And so it's what should I continue doing? And are there some mechanisms that I need to put in place to help me do that? But what ends up happening is on a week to week basis, you're looking at your calendar through the lens of those three areas. So when things uh, come your way, you're asking that question, how does this fit in with those big three areas? So it's the big three exercises, what I call that. So how does it align with that? And then even, you know, if you have an assistant that works with you, you know, just helping that individual understand like what are the most critical things that should be landing on your calendar versus what shouldn't be. Even sharing that with your team, having your team do this exercise as well, gives you some really good insight into are people aligned? Are we focused on the stuff that makes the biggest difference here? But so when we talk about managing your time, the, the two things that we've talked about, that big three exercise plus this other piece around um, thinking time and making time for your team in a way that minimizes distractions and interruptions, those are, are two pretty huge things. The, the third thing I'll say is really look like challenging yourself to look at your calendar and say, based on what's on here, and maybe there, there are certain things that I, I need to be involved in, but I, do I need to be involved in this way? Meaning what's the role that I'm actually playing? So there might be certain meetings you just end up dropping off your calendar and giving someone else a developmental opportunity to step in on your behalf, and then you set up a, a different touch point, right, to get a debrief or something. But really just challenging everything from the standpoint of what is the highest and best use of my time and my talent, and that, those are really, that, that, that's the core question here. Right. And that, that, I think, in a nutshell, is what a lot of us have difficulty doing because we end up getting dragged into that urgent, important stuff. It's urgent, important for somebody else, so they bring us into it all the time. And I know you say significant portion of your calendar. I don't know what your number is. I have a rule of thumb that's my calendar stuff are, would be my big three. Because it's funny you say that. I have a primary, secondary, and tertiary objective every week that aligns under whatever I want to get done for the quarter, right? So this is what are the top three things need to get done this week. And that goes on my calendar, but it doesn't take more than 50% of my calendar space. Because what ends up happening for me is I still have the urgent, important stuff that comes up, things that you don't know are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I just find for me that if I book it and, and I have calendar and then I have two hours of office hours too, but if I book it any deeper than that, then either people can't get in my calendar or I find myself racing from thing to thing to thing. Mm -hmm. And then a meeting runs over or something, and then you can't get into those, those top three. And those three things um, for me are the, those are the important and not urgent things that I want to pull forward. It's like, I like to, an example would be around health, right? If I, if I smoke cigarettes, which I don't, but if I did, um, it's not urgent that I stop today. I'm not going to die today from cigarettes, but it's important that I stop at some point or I'll develop some kind of lung disease, right? We all can see this, but what happens is we don't, we wait until we have chronic bronchitis or we wait until we have lung cancer to stop. 
some health scare causes us to stop. So this is my concept in business. Let's, let's pull it forward and take care of the issue before it becomes a crisis. Yeah, well, I, I think that definitely makes sense, right? Being very proactive and putting some mechanisms in place to help you do that, because that, that's the key thing. Each person's a little bit different in terms of how they need to do it, but recognizing what energizes them, what drains them in terms of how they structure their work and looking at these different activities through that lens as well, because you know, not all the stuff that we really have to get done is stuff that we love to do, but it's like, you gotta do it. So right. you gotta find some, some ways to where you won't be procrastinating, you won't be feeling completely drained because you piled it all into one day. And I, I tend to play around with my schedule quite a bit. So I used to set aside Fridays as, as kind of more of my working day to get stuff done on my business. And what I realized is I'm fried by Friday. Like, I don't want to. Like, if I have the time blocked, then I just don't use it. <laughs> like, okay, we're just calling it an early weekend. And so now I block my You and I are similar. You and I are similar <laughs> that way. But here's how I changed it, right? So what I would do is when Friday afternoon comes, say about 2 o'clock, I plan my next week. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I'm like, okay, I'm done. with uh, This week is done. And I always get excited, excited about what's going to happen next week, right? And then I always start for my planning because I plan family in my weekly planning too. I'm planning the weekend first. I'm putting the family first. What am I going to do? And then that's what I'm going to do for the weekends already trickling in my mind. I haven't written it down yet. I already know what I'm going to do with the girls this weekend. I just haven't written it down. But then I write it down and I actually have a scorecard for myself. Because, you know, if you don't have a scoreboard, how do you know if you're winning the game, Nina? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. You know, appeal to that competitive spirit that you've got. You know, but I think one of the, one of the things, JP, I, that I want to mention, I haven't mentioned this yet today, is that one of my big philosophies is small, small steps lead to big results. And they just do, you know, they really, really do. Sometimes we get overwhelmed by all the things that we've got to get done. And one of the most effective strategies I use is helping people break it down into what are the next one or two things that you need to do. You don't have to worry about solving the whole thing right now. Let's give you some energy. Let's get you building some momentum so that you can continue moving forward. And, you know, JP, you and I haven't talked about this today, but, you know, I've developed an app called New Lens, which you've heard about. Yeah, before. let's talk about that. I was, right? I did want to talk to you about that. So just real quick, my first question is, yeah. New Lens, is this something that small people, small, not small people, the smaller <laughs> businesses can use? Yes, right? anyone could use it. Yeah, anyone could actually use it. But, you know, the, the genesis of it, um, just to recap really quickly was, you know, our track record is that 75% of my clients get promoted after our work together. There is consistency in terms of the impact that the coaching has, the specific strategies, tools, resources. And so what I wanted to do was take a look at what, you know, what are those themes that I see over and over again? Where do people get stuck? What are the biggest levers of high performance? Because Lord knows there are so, there's so much content out there around leadership development. And so this really is about start here. This is foundational stuff that's helpful at every level. And so I wanted to make that available. Is this and in the app store? 
It, it actually, it's it's a browser-based app, so you don't actually okay. have to download anything onto your um, onto your uh, device. But it is accessible via mobile and desktop. But if you just go to NewberrySolutions.com, um, there's more information on New Lens there. But today, what we do is we license it to organizations. So it's you know, I mean, you can go do a seven-day trial if you'd like to try do you it white, out. Do you white label it? Um, it, depending on whether the organization wants to or not, I mean, but right okay. now we've we've had AT and T, PepsiCo, McKesson, Amazon, TJX just um, just said that they want to roll it out as well. So we've got we've got it at some big organizations, and and uh, so it's you know we don't really have it out there as much for just individuals to just license it on their <coughs> own. But if you are if someone is interested, they can reach out to us and we can make that happen for them. Okay. But, but the whole point was around providing more equitable access to tools and resources and strategies that work, right? So for, when you think about big companies, they run out of money you know, for, to be able to develop all the people that they're trying to develop. For smaller organizations, they have limited budgets. And so I don't want budget to be the factor here. And so, but one of the ways that we're rolling it out now, given the way the world has changed, is rolling it out where it's in a cohort experience. Meaning, so let's say you've got 100 people that are going to be part of this program, putting people in cohorts of four to six. And so they're going through a shared experience together. And so, but there's an individual learning component because each of us can go in and we are going to, like you and I would have different insights, different takeaways, different best practices that are getting distilled as mm -hmm. we're going through the content individually. And we're building our own individual personalized plans. And then we're coming together in a cohort and going deeper and talking about what we're learning about ourselves. We're learning from each other. We're developing relationships with each other. So there's that connection and collaborative learning that goes along with it. But the other piece is, you know, in order to make something like this work, it's got to fit into your schedule. It, and so everything in there is micro learning, two to seven minutes long. And the whole focus is around you going from getting exposure to some content and some principles to gleaning insight from it and taking action. So when I talked about small steps lead to big results, that's what this is about. Let me get you taking action quickly. Okay, so if I'm if I'm in a business and the the ownership group doesn't want to pay for any leadership training or anything like that, can I afford this app on my own, or is this pretty yeah, much? Yeah, you can, okay. you can absolutely, yes. Okay. And we we could just set set up an individual with an individual subscription model. Literally, it's just you know it can be just charged to your credit card each each month. Yep. That's great. Absolutely. That's great. Because that was one of the questions I was going to ask is, so if I'm a small, medium business, how can I get something that's, uh, you know, a, a little bit less expensive than the Deloitte touch or the Nina Newberry touch? I mean, geez, <laughs> not all of us have empty, uh, you know, unlimited bank accounts, PepsiCo and McKenna and geez, you're, you're making, you're intimidating me now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm look, I'm going for impact, right? It touches as many people as I can give them the resources that they need. So, you know, cause, uh, there may be plenty of diamonds in the rough out there and individuals that boy, if they just had a few additional things on their radar, a few different tools that they could leverage and 
things that they can start practicing and recognizing, hey, I'm not alone, not alone in this. And I may not have the greatest manager who's going to teach me this stuff. This feels like a, uh, a piece of contribution for you, actually, because you didn't have to do that. You know, you didn't have to take your high level experience and all the things you've been 30 years of business experience doing this and giving it to the lower I don't just people that are aren't in bigger companies and, and that want to want to you know build themselves up then that's beautiful Nina I, I, I see that in you and I, I honor you for doing that that's pretty amazing thank you um, I appreciate it definitely yeah. a labor of love and passion there for me I remember <laughs> when you're going through phase one and it wasn't going so well and you went through labor a second time <laughs> yes yes I feel like I've given birth multiple times yes. <laughs> on this one baby yeah, exactly. But it, it's been worth it. <laughs> okay, so Nina, let's just go ahead and repeat the uh, website where we can find you again. Uh, yeah, NewberrySolutions.com. All right, NewberrySolutions.com. Also, if you need to get a hold of Nina, you can get a hold of me through the, the link here. And anyway, Nina, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you. I appreciate the time that you took to, to have this conversation with me. And all the best. I know this year is going to be even more amazing than last. Oh, thank you, JP. I appreciate it. And also, I would encourage people to connect with me on LinkedIn. I put a lot of leadership resources out there. So, yeah, if they follow me out there, they'll get a lot more, too. Okay, perfect. All right. Thank you, Nina. Thank you. Hey, Gamer Business family. If you enjoyed or received value out of this episode, please share it. Send it to a friend. See, we don't pay for advertising on this podcast that are strictly word of mouth, and I would love the help to add value to as many business people as I can. Thanks a lot.